Welcome to Ask Andy featuring Andrew Redleaf. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs. Today I want to come back to the meme stocks, but with a slightly different perspective and emphasis. And by the meme stocks, you know, GameStop, AMC. So there were a handful of stocks that early in the year got internet attention as having large short interests, allegedly Robin Hood type traders swarmed in, squeezed the shorts, and the stocks went up, you know, in round numbers, roughly tenfold. And it was, you know, Main Street versus Wall Street, what have you. What I want to consider today is that post the squeeze, post the initial action, essentially for the balance of the year, eight, nine, ten months, all these stocks have traded like regular stocks, all bet with a little bit more than average volatility. But GameStop has retreated recently, but for a long time, GameStop traded at 200 plus or minus 10%, looking like a normal stock. Now, the internet chatter has certainly died down. The shorts are presumably all gone, or short covering is certainly not an ongoing force. So how is it that you have a stock trading like a stock one day, you know, in the $15, $20 range, and a few days later it's in the $200 range, and it was stable at $15 to $20, and it's stable at $200? Now, the ordinary and classic explanation would be that there was a binary event that changed the valuation of the stock. New information came out, or the market anticipated new information and ended up being correct. That changed the fundamental value of the company by a meaningful factor, and that the trading prices in both prevailing before and afterwards represent reasonable best market guesses as to the valuation of the enterprises. And then in this framework with this explanation, the short squeeze meme explanation for the move originally turns out or should have turned out to have been misguided. It wasn't a flash mob organized on the internet or the dynamics of a short squeeze in that, you know, framework that can't be and the stability of the stocks post the move is then seen as a reflection of the market incorporating new information and the enterprises being more valuable now while one can't absolutely dismiss that framework as misguided or wrong out of hand you know one can't absolutely say, well, you know, GameStop was worth $15 a share and now it's worth 150 or 200 Nonetheless, I'm going to make the assertion that I don't think that is true. I don't think a change in valuation works as an explanation for the post-move price stability. So the framework I would propose for thinking about this and, and making sense is to think about the nature of the market participants. And this is true pretty much across 
all financial markets. We can, roughly speaking, divide market participants into four classes of people, investors, or you know, I prefer to just use the word participants. So the first, and this holds for both flow and stock, both for orders coming in both ways and for holders. So the first set of potential buyers and sellers and the first group of holders is what I would describe as totally price insensitive buyers, sellers, holders. People for whom their supply, demand, or willingness to hold shares is completely independent of the price of those shares. Now, perhaps the paradigmatic example of the price indifferent participant is the index fund. If a stock is in the S&P 500, index funds will own that percentage of that stock independent of whatever the price is. And many of the holders of index funds are, in fact, quite price insensitive to the level of the index. So the automatic payroll deduction going into a 401k that's going into an index fund is the classic example of this. So first category of participants, totally price insensitive. The second class and the one in which you know we tend to think of as the determinants of markets and you know kind of the archetypical market participant makes an assessment of fundamental value for any financial asset they're going to hold and their willingness to buy or sell or hold is entirely a function of the relationship between their assessment of value and the prevailing market price, you know, the classic sort of value investor. And therefore, you know, if market prices fall without the assessment of fundamental value changing, these people will come in as buyers. If market prices rise, again, without a reassessment of valuation, the supply of stock increases and it's the market's all about fundamental value and the participants and holders shake out based on their assessment of fundamental value. And here the supply and demand curves are shaped as one expects in a standard economics class. Uh, Lower prices bring demand, higher prices bring supply. The third category of participants are what I will call technical traders or algorithmic traders, people whose willingness to hold a security or buy or sell one is a function of recent price action. So not fundamental value, but the current price in relationship to the history of previous prices. And here, supply and demand does not conform to the classic economic picture because uh, some algorithmic traders will demand more stock as the price rises uh, and supply more stock as the price falls and vice versa. But a class of traders looking at the current price in relationship to recent price history. And then the fourth class of participants are dealers, market makers, intermediaries, people whose desire is to act as a middleman 
between buyers and sellers and take a little bit in between to smooth out very short-term timing disparities between buyers and sellers. Now, acting as dealers, they will hold inventory and their willingness or desire to hold inventory could either be based on opinions of valuation or based on trading algorithms. But at a certain point, their desire and ability to hold inventory will be price sensitive. So, you know, as prices fall, if their inventory is increasing at a certain point to increase it more, they will only provide that liquidity at a lower price and symmetrically on the upside. More or less all financial markets have participants in each of these categories. And like anything, the lines between the categories are not absolute. People can shift from one class to another. And of course, it's not always easy to know or determine where a participant fits and how their actions might change over time. So people can go from being driven by a comparison of uh, market prices to assessment of valuation to being driven by a comparison of current price to price history. Now, one of the things that I don't think there is really debate over, but for which data is sketchy and of very uncertain precision, but there is general agreement that over the last 10, 15, 20 years, the relative size of the value-oriented active sort of stock picker, what have you, the character out of the classic economics test, their relative size has diminished dramatically over the last 20 years. And there is a lot of participation by totally price-insensitive investors, and also a good deal, probably more than ever before, of the algorithmic sort, the supply and demand determined by current price in relationship to recent price history. One of the things I would suggest, and now getting back to the meme stocks, is that in the case of the meme stocks, the move caused by internet chatter, a flash mob, a short squeeze, etc., took out all of the value participants, or at least the economic equivalent of all of the value-sensitive participants, leaving the marketplace with, instead of the four classes of participants, with three, totally price-insensitive investors, algorithmic traders, and dealers. I think the fundamental conclusion is that on the one hand, a large move or a fundamental change in something's trading pattern can eliminate a whole class of traders. And the corollary being to eliminate a whole class of traders, you need a very large move. But that having happened, prices can be stable at more or less any level for a very extended period of time. And in fact, One of the remarkable things about the history of the past 15 or 20 years is that the markets have equilibrated price-insensitive buyers and sellers extremely well with a degree of stability 
that one would not expect. I mean, given if you have a large group of price insensitive buyers and a very large group of price insensitive sellers, obviously, and almost by definition, the range of prices that will clear the market is huge since you know nobody cares. And yet the markets have been quite adept at obtaining clearing prices with very moderate price volatility. And one might suggest that this is a function of the dealer community, even though now small relative to the price insensitive players being uh, effective and efficient, and also, parenthetically, having an interest in market stability. They don't want to lose the price-insensitive people for whom they can act as the middleman and believe that relative stability is required to keep all these participants coming back and happy. So contrary to what might be suggested that uh, volatility is good for these participants. I think it's more like that there is a sweet spot of some but moderate volatility. So that's the fundamental point. Four classes of market participants, the classes and their sizes can shift. A major shift in a class can be either a cause or an effect of a major move. So now I want to relate these considerations in this framework to the interest rate markets and, you know, in particular, the government market and the very high investment grade fixed income markets. And I would suggest that the massive central bank intervention over the past 14 years, the swelling of central bank balance sheets by more than a factor of 10 the quantitative easing of essentially every central bank in the world, the now tapering $1.4 trillion of annual purchases by the Fed. This is classic price-insensitive market participant behavior. So the Fed and the central banks are buying securities every day absolutely independent of price. Doesn't matter if mortgages are yielding 1.5% or 3%, the Fed is going to buy $40 billion a month, up until the taper. In a similar way, one should probably think of governments as uh, totally price-insensitive issuers, which is to say governments fund their debt. Whatever their debt is, they will fund, and they will do it at whatever price they have to. Now, both the central banks and the governments, and I'll come back to this, can exhibit some price sensitivity in terms of where on the maturity spectrum the Fed buys or governments issue. But for the last 13, 14 years, in all of the high investment grade debt markets, the very largest players are price insensitive. In the same way that I would suggest the participants in the meme stocks now are. I would also posit that, as in the meme stocks, all, or close enough to all to be the functional equivalent of the value players have been driven out 
of the fixed income markets. Whereas nobody really thinks that game stock is worth its current market valuation. Similarly, nobody thinks that a 30-year government bond at 1.8% is a great investment. Or in the European case, at you know zero or 25 basis points. Those participants are all gone. But, you know, just as in the case of the uh, meme stocks, the market has equilibrated supply and demand extremely well, extremely efficiently with maintaining, with rare exceptions, a high degree of orderliness. And I think in both the meme stock case and the interest rate case, the persistence and the orderliness, though admittedly in the meme stock it's been something like 10 months as opposed to 10 years in the interest rate markets. But that stability, that orderliness creates the illusion that the markets represent an assessment of value. Important point here, all the value players in the investment grade world are sort of gone. We've successfully maintained an orderly market between mostly price insensitive participants. But now I would suggest that with um, the Fed taper and with the presence of inflation, the fundamental supply and demand characteristics of the market have a better than average chance of materially changing over the next year or two. In other words, I am saying that the removal of trillions of dollars of price-insensitive central bank participants has the potential to be a very big deal. That, in fact, to move the market back to one in which there is active participation from value-seeking private parties will produce a substantial move. Before I sign off, I want to reiterate the first dictum of prognostication, which is if you give a price, don't give a date. If you give a date, don't give a price. So uh, I am not going to put a time frame on when I think the fundamental realignment of interest rates will occur. But I do think that the very strong market consensus that central banks raise interest rates slowly and orderly and that rates stabilize in the 2% range with a very flat curve is apt to be wrong. And one thing that I should have said five or 10 minutes ago, but I'll add now, is in most financial markets now, the most significant price-sensitive participant, and they are not always price-sensitive, but the most significant price-sensitive participant is corporate America. So on the equity side, you know, while most companies have stock buybacks, in place and they are mostly price insensitive in carrying those out. They will increase their buybacks 
if they think their stocks are cheap, if something, if either very positive corporate developments happen or their stock prices drop, and they have a tendency to issue more stock if they think it's overvalued. In the fixed income market, the highest grade issuers are extraordinarily opportunistic and price sensitive. They issue debt when they think it's at an attractive price. And one of the things, this is happening you know, in semi-slow motion, but very much there to be seen. The average maturity of high investment grade has gone up several years and issuance has been robust even in the face of significant cash holdings by the largest, most creditworthy issuers. I think this has the potential and I think will only increase over the next couple of years as the disconnect between interest rates and inflation becomes ingrained and becomes obvious. would also sort of add that in terms of maturities, the Treasury is not completely price insensitive either, though they want to be orderly, regular. But should we encounter a situation of some duration where inflation is running in the mid-single digits, short-term rates are in the low two to three range, and the curve is inverted, which is to say, you know, 30-year bonds trade below two, five, and 10-year bonds in terms of yield. There will be political pressure, and in fact, the Treasury will skew their refundings and their new issuance to longer maturities. I think the imperative to do this, if in fact it saves the government money and locks in you know, low rates going forward in an inflationary environment will be tremendous. So price insensitive buyer leaving, price sensitive issuers very likely to increase the supply of long dated securities, the absence of value players at this level, all sort of point to after multiple, multiple years, long rates rising more than the markets anticipate. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ask Andy. If you would like to submit a question, please email askandypodcast at gmail.com. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs.